We are fatter, sicker, sadder, and madder than ever before. Bodies are breaking. Minds are melting. The human spirit is suffocating, trapped in a cage, withering away. How do we get ourselves into this prison, this mess? Why and when did we begin killing ourselves? This is the beginning of a hunt for those dark past clues to our present predicament, a resurrecting of the recipe of our individual and societal collapse, crescendoing into our current health epidemics. This is episode 23, Blueprint for Self-Destruction, Part 1. Fragmentation, God, and the Rise of the Machine. It all began with one little assumption that would, centuries later, escalate into a health epidemic exploding into obesity and disease, and if we keep it going, it might make us even bigger and deader than the dinosaurs. This invisible puppet master still lurks in the background today, twisting and tangling up the strings of our body and mind tighter and tighter, until we all become big, broken, screaming and crying, mangled bits of madness. Faulty assumption number one. The world is divided into separate individual pieces and parts, disconnected entities. There are living things and non-living things, animals and plants, bacteria and viruses, humans and non-humans, and very, very importantly, the god and the non-gods, the master and the servants, the creator and the created, the free and the determined, the living and the dead. We've believed this, basically, from the beginning of time, and especially in the West. But could you blame us? It's not just cultural, it's built into our biology. Our eyes see a world made up of separate things. Our big human cortex then further paints them and decorates them with concepts and language that lock us into seeing the world through these shattered, augmented reality glasses. Still, for the first couple hundred thousand years, of Homo sapiens sapiens existence, our mental division of the world didn't cause too many major health problems because, regardless of what we believed or how we perceived, we had to live in the natural world. There was no other choice. We only mentally divided the world. We hadn't yet developed the tools or technologies that would later allow us to change, manipulate, and recombine those parts. For now, we just lived with our delusions. We weren't physically painting them onto the world, altering the entire landscape for everything else. They largely stayed trapped within our own minds, like dreams or words or fantasies to be shared with only our fellow human beings. A secret code for us to communicate with and entertain each other. An invisible code only to be seen or touched by those with human consciousness hidden within our skulls. Perhaps... We've always been under this delusional spell of separation, unable to see the unity of all things, the interconnectedness between all those supposed parts. We could so easily see the parts, but we could not see the larger system, the single, united whole that we were enmeshed in, that even us, humans ourselves, since our ancient times, including our precious conscious mind, are part of, and which we cannot escape however hard we try, or however big we build ourselves up to be, we are forever one with all reality. For a long, long time, for most of our human existence, appearances pretty much matched reality. 
Things that looked and tasted like food were food. Scary sounds came from scary, dangerous things. Sickly items stank. The light in the sky displayed the time of the day. The temperature told the season. An orgasm meant offspring. Our senses and actions, pleasures and pains, body, mind, and spirit were tightly tied to the real physical environment around us. Our delusional dreams could not hurt us because we still had to live in the real world. A world we hunted, foraged, played, fornicated, fought, fled, and survived in. The only tools we had were the ones God gave us. Our hands, legs, muscles, and minds, along with a few basic things like pots, spoons, arrows, and spears. Sure, we had fire and weapons, but we were smart and aware enough to quickly learn that if we misused these tools, there would be dire consequences. If you burn down the forest, you lose your resources. If you kill all the animals, you have no food. There were obvious and real consequences to our actions. Therefore, our actions were always too small to disrupt the larger organism, Earth, or the biological body that we inhabit. Not only was the technology not yet developed, but assumption number two. There is a god, and that god has the power and right to create and destroy, to rule over this earth, including all of its plants, animals, resources, and men, in whatever way he decides is good and righteous and beneficial. And what is good? Conveniently, whatever most benefits him. Early human beings, including hunter-gatherers, believed that spirits or supernatural beings reside in natural elements like animals, plants, and geographic features. The things in the world themselves were the gods, but there was no single boss god in the sky or in our head. Everything held creative, magical, spiritual power. This we called animism, and it kept us healthy because we did not dare destroy or tinker with that plant or that animal, or that mountain, because then you might anger those gods and there could be a big, natural, living hell to pay. Maybe not. Maybe that mushroom god or goat goddess won't get pissed, but it's not worth taking the risk. So all these beautiful, natural gods were able to keep living in harmony with one another. The system and its individual parts could stay healthy, or at least, if they died, they died naturally from a weather or animal or bacterial attack, not from a man-made chemical, computer, or pill that could kill us all and end the whole game or at least start it all over with a lone few tiny survivors, probably not including us. Some modern-day religions like Shintoism in Japan with its red Tory gates and Hinduism largely practiced in India with its elephant statues have long roots partly tracing back to animism, which is probably part of why these cultures still live more in harmony with and reverence towards the natural world and the things in it, including the human brain and body. As human societies became larger and more complex, polytheistic religions emerged. There were still many gods, but not as many. Instead of inhabiting real, living, and non-living things, they became associated with only certain aspects of life. For example, in Greek mythology, there was Zeus, the king of the gods, Poseidon, the god of the sea, Athena, the goddess of wisdom and warfare, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. 
then the Egyptians had their own set of gods, the Hindus theirs, and the Mayans theirs. From the beginning of time, we have held some things to be sacred and godlike, and others to be worldly, temporal, and profane. But the number of sacred things seemed to only get smaller and smaller. The world became more divided between the gods and the non-gods. Eventually, monotheism arose and ultimately swept the world. This marked the beginning of totalitarianism, a universe in which a single, all-powerful deity ruled over everything else, not in a, hey, we're all in this together kind of way, but more like, obey me, please me, serve me. There was one master and a whole lot of slaves. Judaism came near the beginning of this monotheistic wave, arising at around 2000 BC. Then came Christianity in the first century CE, and eventually Islam popped its head out of these same sands in the Middle East in the 600s. This god, this overlord, whatever name you want to give him, ruled over the West for many centuries. Technologies were meanwhile arising, civilizations rising and collapsing, but for the most part, we were still living in the real world. Food was food, summer was summer, the environment out there in the world and inside the human body was, for the most part, untampered with. Our clay huts and steel axes were not going to do much damage. Of course, that all soon would change. But first, we needed a new god, because this one just wasn't cutting it anymore. Why does he get to make all the rules? Why does he get to do all the creating? Why does everything go to him and not to me, not to us? A light switch flipped in our heads. We could become gods, and it didn't take too much stretch of the imagination because we knew we had something special, magical, that everything else did not. That same magic lamp that gave us stories and songs around the ancient campfires. It made us feel all-knowing, all-powerful, and with the creation of a few technologies that eventually would come, we knew it could make us omnipresent, existing everywhere at the same time. Timeless, bodiless gods. Assumption number three. The human mind is a god. The god that rules over the earth, that knows, or at least can learn everything, and that all other parts of this solar system are subservient to. We can create, manipulate, and change anything at will. And since our thinking, rational, conscious mind, our neocortex knows best, we know what we're doing, we know what's best for everything, or at least for ourselves, and we're not gonna mess up. Now that the old god is dead, or at least tied up, gagged in the back seat, we can finally get down to business. We can unleash our sacred magic, and there will be no consequences. We discover and create the rules and manipulate them to our own will. There is a new ethics, a new morality. What is good is what is good for this human god. What that god likes, what that god wants, and what is bad, and what is evil are those things that do not benefit us human beings, this human god, the almighty mind. It must have been an acid trip when Copernicus flipped everything on his head in 1543. We must have been so lost, so confused, not knowing what to believe. So we began believing in our own rational thoughts, calculations, and mental powers. Copernicus put God on the cross, and we began twisting the nails. So the world was still divided, but now it was between the mind and the body, the mental world and the physical world. Subject and object, experiences, and things. Rene Descartes really hit this home about a hundred years later, and people began tripling down on the mind. It was the AI or the Bitcoin of the day. 
Isaac Newton bought a lot of this Bitcoin, and with it, he came up with the laws of physics. Apparent rules for how the universe and everything on Earth, plants, animals, the human body works. Of course, he would need later chemists and biologists to fill in all the fine details, but the basic rulebook was there. He had found it. It was ours. The mathematical problem had been solved. The natural algorithm discovered. And now we could use this code to more efficiently understand and manipulate the physical world. John Locke, another early investor of the mind at around the same time in the late 1600s, took this even further and added that there were more natural laws, more natural rules, natural human rights, like the rights to life, liberty, and property. These are rights programmed into the universe itself. They cannot be taken away by governments or other individuals. We owned our bodies and owned our houses, land, and things. Even more subjugation of the mind over the earth and everything in it. Now, it wasn't just our human perception, imagination, or religions dividing things, fragmenting them apart, stealing them from their brothers and sisters and mothers and friends. But the world was inherently divided into parts according to science itself. The rules of division were coded into the game and it's just the way things are. Convenient for us because that automatically gives us the best position in the game. A cheat code position, a head start in the race that endowed us with the delusional superpowers, the rationalizations that led us down the dark myopic path that led to a 2023 America that is 42% obese and self-destructing with disease. With guys like Copernicus, Newton, and Locke leading the parade, welcome the Enlightenment. Assumption number four, the universe and everything in it is like a machine or a clean mathematical equation. It can be reduced to numbers. It is governed by deterministic laws. There is cause and effect, addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication. And assumption number five, we genius humans are smart enough or equipped enough to understand those rules because our senses and logical, rational mind can be trusted. We can do science experiments and calculations to understand and leverage these mechanistic rules. We have access to knowledge, and with that, we can create and control machines. Lots of machines were developed during the scientific revolution running through the 15 and 16 and 1700s from Copernicus to Galileo to Newton. Things like the telescope, microscope, and thermometer. These technologies made us feel real smart and all the books and knowledge now available due to Gutenberg's printing press. It's no wonder we felt like gods and no longer needed the outdated, old, crusty one upstairs. We had an even better one within our own heads. In a lifeless universe full of machines and itself one giant machine, our mind was like a special bright light within a black and gray world. We were free. Everything else was determined. Even Descartes said animals were machines and Locke encouraged us to use these inferior beasts for our own good. Of course, he also encouraged slavery. But then again, didn't every powerful man back then? And aren't all we workers and employees these days, in some way, still secretly slaves? Machines whipped and controlled by the owners who flick us pennies and dollar bills as we scramble around in circles running for our life. The Enlightenment encouraged us to rely on our big human cortex and to think and act as an individual. 
critical thinking, skepticism, a questioning of traditional authorities, assumptions, and institutions. All great things, but if taken to an extreme, deadly. Because the human mind can only perceive and understand a certain tiny layer of reality. And even if we somehow can know it all, that takes a really, really long time. At that time back then, in the 16 and 1700s, we didn't know about DNA, the microbiome, the mitochondria, nutrition. We had a lot we still needed to learn, and a lot we still do. Still, this Enlightenment period led to huge breakthroughs in knowledge, culture, and technology. In the 1600s, we discovered cells, those tiny parts that make up the bodies of plants and animals. And although we already knew about many organs, like the heart, liver, lungs, and brain, since ancient times, we were only now beginning to understand what they really did. Our knowledge of, for example, anatomy grew with groundbreaking anatomy textbooks like De Humani Corporis Fabrica, on the fabric of the human body, published in 1543. So we were beginning to subdivide things into even smaller and smaller parts, organs, cells, atoms, etc. Some philosophers came up with these ideas long, long ago, but now they were starting to make more and more sense, especially with the help of this mechanistic worldview made up of all its little machines, gears, and rules. And it's fine to break the universe into as many tiny pieces as you want, but if you don't reassemble them back into the single unified system that deep down they really are, if you become blind from being able to see the whole within the parts, if you forget that everything is connected and that by changing one thing, you change everything, if you get too carried away with your dismantling and begin to believe that each of these little parts actually has a separate, independent existence of its own, that's when you run into colossal problems like the ones we are facing today. We are getting hit so hard because this current health crisis was centuries in the making. Slowly, slowly chugging along, picking up steam, lock, stock, and pace with our knowledge, innovations, and global domination, and then accelerating faster and faster from the mid-1900s. But we're not there yet. The steam engine was very aptly named because it really set us off towards our current trajectory, away from nature, disconnected from the reality that we had always been evolving in and adapted to for billions of years. Wait, you might point out, humans have only been around for like 200,000 years. Yes, but we are also made up of and ultimately powered by mitochondria, which have been around for 1.5 to 2 billion years. And bacteria covering nearly every piece of our body inside and out, some of which have existed for 3.5 billion years. 3.5 divided by 200,000, that's 7,500? These bacteria inside us have existed in and been evolving in this environment, Earth, the world, for much longer than us, longer than just about anything that ever lived on Earth. 7,500 times longer than Homo sapiens. Even six times longer than all vertebrae. Those things we think of as animals, creatures with backbones, fish, reptiles, birds, and mammals. All of them. These bacteria and mitochondria are the real OGs. Oh yeah, better show them some respect. They run our human body and our mind. And until very, very recently, 
We thought they were totally separate from us, like the opposite of us, the lowliest of creatures. And even when we learned that they were part of us, just as much as our brain, heart, memories, feelings, and everything else is, we didn't understand what a big critical part they were until very recently. In fact, it's really only been in the past couple years that we really began to take them seriously and see what they're really doing. Maybe just in time, but maybe too late. And we are still only beginning to scratch this surface. These tiny bugs inside of us, they might be the real gods. The steam engine allowed us to really hack reality, to move beyond our human limits. Yes, we already had agriculture, which allowed us to grow and store excess energy. But that energy, food, could only really be used to fuel our body and our animals. Perhaps it could keep us warm or power some junky, janky, pre-industrial machine, but that wouldn't be a very good use of this precious fuel. To keep warm, we needed wood. To move, we needed animals like camels and horses, or at least in order to move faster, we did. To power machines, we needed muscles and hands. That all changed with a steam engine. Invented in around 1700, it gave us some sick upgrades over the following 60 to 70 years that marked the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, aka the march towards progress and death. Many technologies from this period made our lives way, way better in so many ways, but they also made us treat ourselves and the world more also like machines. Our mechanistic view of the world would soon come to reflect back at us through the mirror, shattering us inside and out. Assumption number six, man is a machine, both God and a machine. His mind is a God, his body is a machine. And assumption number seven, society is a machine, comprised of big parts like countries and companies and smaller gears like humans, animals, and the new man-made technologies to be continued dun, 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 dun. yes uh if you want to get the rest of this little series i'm making up if you like it and you want to hear how the story ends uh one you can just go flip through some history books and think about it or you can just wait until the next episode comes out so if you want that remember you can like or subscribe or whatever that is or just wait and keep refreshing the page but I don't know. Might as well just subscribe. Makes it easier. Don't get those stupid notifications on your phone, though. That's just going to stress you the hell out, you know? Make you more of a machine programming you with all those little dings and bings and lings and rings. You don't want that. But do subscribe. Uh, I would appreciate it. And your mind will, too, because you're going to find out what's going to happen in a story that everybody already knows about, but I'm telling. Okay, thank you. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.